routes to the Galactic Federation Prisoner Teleport Center. I commend you for making the brave decision to join our noble ranks as guards. Tomorrowland Transit Authority Metroliner nonstop now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round trip Super Skyway Tour. Here you can gaze upon the most wondrous anniversary confection ever concocted. It's Cinderella Castle, magically transformed to become the world's largest anniversary cake. Tinkerbell's right. Look what's coming there. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 203 for the week of January 2nd, 2011. Let me start off by wishing you and your families a very happy new year, and as we enter 2011, I wanted to look back on 2010 and some of its most important developments, additions, announcements, and events. And with so many to choose from, we'll try and narrow it down to our top 10 Disney stories of 2010. I'll have a few announcements, including information about a special WDW Radio Live broadcast coming soon, updates on the WDW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream, and then I'll play some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. As 2010 came to a close and we look forward to 2011, I wanted to reflect on this past year, not really just on a personal level, but really for us collectively as Walt Disney World enthusiasts. I think 2010 was a year of some exciting new additions, a few announcements about what's to come, and a few losses as well. And with so much that happened in the past 12 months, we certainly couldn't discuss them all. So of course it makes perfect sense to look at the top 10 or so Disney stories of 2010. And when I say top 10, you say, of course, bananas, as in ban Tim Bananas Foster. So, Tim, Happy New Year, my friend. A happy New Year to you. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about this segment and, you know, a lot happened in 2010, both for us personally as it relates to Disney and I think in this sort of Disney quote-unquote world as a whole. So I thought it would be fun to look at the stories that we felt were the most important or influential. Uh, I can tell you it was hard to come up with just 10. What about you when sort of looking back on your list? Did you find that there were more than 10 or did you have a tough time sort of picking, well, for your five anyway? <laughs> I had a tough time getting to five. And it's not so much because I guess not there wasn't a lot that happened, but um, I know in years past there, we had more concrete things like this opened and 
this uh, got refurbished and all that. And um, I actually I went out of the Walt Disney World realm on a couple of mine. Still in the Disney vein, but but you'll see as we get there. Right, I did as well. I did as yeah. well, and I was able to sort of tie them back to the parks. But when you thought back, was there one that sort of jumped out at you right off the bat and, and was quick and easy to put on your list immediately? Well, that's that's a two-part question. And not mutually, because the first thing that came to mind was skipping down Main Street with a good friend of mine during fireworks, but I didn't think it was a personal list. I didn't want to put that on here. <laughs> so. you, that wasn't the biggest news story of 2010, Tim Foster <laughs> skipping down Main Street? It was Street. the biggest news story in my house, whether it's something anybody wants to know about. And before anybody asks, I don't believe there's anything on YouTube, so don't try and find it. Were we actually skipping, or were you not even talking about me at all? Well, I was skipping. I don't know what you were doing <laughs> You were, kind of fall, you were kind of falling with style. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so, all right, let me, um, let me be courteous and let me let you go first. Oh, and, boy. And well, tell me this. Is the first yes. one on your list one of the ones that jumped out at you, or are you going to try and go in reverse order and save your biggest story uh, for last? You know what? Because there's no real I'm order. Gonna, there's no real order to no, these. No, I, I had mine in no order. They were just the ones I started with. So I'll just start with the first one on my list. And it actually jumped out at me a little bit, but this, this is the first one on my list that kind of jumps out of the Walt Disney World uh, in isolation vein. And it, it is Toy Story 3. And But we'll relate it back to the parks, obviously, in some ways. But... Uh, Wonderful movie. I'm sure everybody's seen it. One of the most anticipated movies I remember waiting for. And uh, to me, it didn't disappoint. I, I know my daughter thinks it's uh, it's her favorite of the three. I'm not sure. I still have a warm spot in my heart for two and Jesse and and and, and, and the crying moments and so forth. But but a, a wonder a, a wonderful film and um, and in, in a lot of ways, it relates back to Walt Disney World proper, most obviously with Toy Story Mania and the additions that were made to the ride, including Trixie the Ty Triceratops dart throw and, and Buttercup with the egg throw game, though I will miss Bo Peep. But, but despite the changes, I still can't get past the black cat level. And you humiliated me when we rode that uh, the last time I was down there and you told me what your score was. And I won't share it with everybody because I know you don't want to embarrass yourself and be bragging like that. But it, it's, it not, it's not about the score. It rather, it's about having fun with friends. <laughs> well, it was fun. And boy, did my arms get tired. But um, <laughs> no, it's a fun game. And, and uh, yeah, the thing about the Toy Story movies, too, and all the Pixar movies in general, it, it reminds me a lot of, uh, of Walt Disney World in the sense of one of the things we all – know and love to look for the hidden Mickeys at Walt Disney World. But with the Pixar movies, they have their own hidden Mickeys, as you will, and, and Toy Story 3 being no, um, not being a stranger to that with being able to find the Pizza Planet truck and the yellow Luxol ball and the number A113. And I'm not going to tell anybody where they are in case you want to look for them. Um, I remember the, one of the coolest things I saw in the movie and I've heard differing stories on this, but I like my version better, was the map in Andy's room having push pins on it, one on Florida, one on California. And I went, aha, that's pretty cool. And I since heard that's actually where some of the animators, I believe, lived. I like those are where the Disney parks are story better. 
but it's cool. It's just filled, just like Disney World, Walt Disney World. It's just filled with little things to look for besides the story, which is phenomenal. But all kinds of hidden things to look for, which you can also find in the parks as you as you wander through Pixar Place and Toy Story Mania. So, so this was on my list too, um, in somewhat of a uh-huh. different vein. But I want to I want to talk to you about it specifically, Toy Story three and relating to the theme parks. I think you're right, and I think what this does too, and I think the beauty of Toy Story Midway Mania is how easily they are able to change and update and make the ride fresh. I mean, the, the ride will be, the attraction will be down for a, a couple of days. You come in, you've got basically completely new scenes and new characters brought in there. So there's always something else to look forward to. There's always something else to try and play and, and new ways to increase your score. And I think that's brilliant on Disney's part. And we talked about that when Toy Story Midway Mania opened uh, as far as the rewritability factor, even without that, is so, so very high. But I had right. Toy Story 3 lumped in with Tron and Tangled on my list collectively as far as th- really the three biggest films for Disney this year, I think. Uh, Toy Story 3, like you said, very much anticipated. Tron Legacy, uh, a film that geeks like me have been waiting for for 20 some odd years a film that has been promoted by disney for three plus years really setting the bar and expectations very high and i think old tangled came out and surprised a lot of people i i said on many occasions i wasn't that enthusiastic about seeing it based on the trailers and when i saw the film i loved it and i thought that it sort of brought us back to that renaissance of animation that we had in the late 80s and the early 90s, a big part of that was the music. And then I thought about these films collectively and how they impact the Disney theme parks. Toy Story 3, obviously, we had Lotso Hug and Bear doing meet and greets even before the film came out, which was kind of cheating on Disney's part because he came out <laughs> looking like this big, furry, lovable character. And then everybody saw the film and they're like, wait a minute, he's a bad guy. And he's I got a bad guy. Right. And I got my picture taken with him. Tron... Obviously, we had the Toronto Rail for months before the film came out. We have Electronica out in Disneyland. For Tangled, uh, certainly uh, Rapunzel and Flynn, very present in the parks. They have a new meet-and-greet location over where Bell's Fairytale Garden used to be. But I I wonder, and this is sort of my somewhat rhetorical question to you, is how will these films be regarded in the legacy of Disney films. Five, 10, 15 years from now, how will we look back on each of these films individually and collectively as, hey, 2010 was a huge year for Disney films or Toy Story 3 maybe has a little more of a long tail than Tron or Tangled. To that end, I wonder about people's adoption of Rapunzel as a new Disney princess. You know, it's kind of hard to break into that princess realm with so many of the classic princesses there. I'm curious to see five years from now, ten years from now, how little girls and little boys will adopt (laughs) Rapunzel as a princess and where these films are going to fit into the history of Disney movie making. Does rhetorical mean I'm allowed to throw in my opinion? Of course you can. All right. Because <laughs> there's going to be a go with me right here. I can see it. No, no, no. I, I'm curious myself. I, I, now, I will confess, I didn't put uh, Tron or Tangled on my list yet because I haven't seen them yet. <laughs> but it's been a busy Christmas. Um, 
but I, I too, I've, I've heard you say I've known a lot of people that have seen Tangled and have liked it. Um, but it's a good question. I think there's no doubt Toy Story three will be well regarded for years to come. And I, I kind of see, I still kind of see the whole Pixar group as a separate entity from the Disney films, which I think a lot of people still do, even though. You know, they all kind of work with the same boss now. But, and I think that's interesting in and of itself, but go ahead. Yeah, well, to me, I, I think... Uh, yeah, I, my expectations for Tangled have been raised, but I did always feel that the, the Pixar movie still had that undefinable something to them with the the, uh, the quality of the story and the characters, just beyond how gorgeous the films are, which they are. But uh, Tron, I don't know, because it's... Uh, I don't even... Re I barely remember the first one. And I sometimes like to think I'm just as geeky as you are, but I guess <laughs> apparently not. Cause I, I, I remember seeing it, but I don't remember too much. I set and, the geek uh, bar pretty high, just so you know. Yeah, you do. You do. And uh, so I, I have a feeling that I don't know how well that one will go forward. Um, but I'm curious to see. I, I The Tangled is I am really curious. I'm like you. I'm curious to see if uh, the, the princess-ishness of the film will will take off as the other ones did. I mean, so far, so far, so good, it seems. And, and I'm really curious if this is a stepping stone for Disney proper with their films to maybe come out of the funk that they've been in, if you will, the last few years with some of the ones they've come out with versus the Pixar films, which are very good. Um, maybe this ups the bar a little bit and we can look forward to a, another renaissance of Disney film. And again, I think it's interesting. And I wonder how many other people are like you and don't and, and still haven't sort of adopted Pixar wholeheartedly into the Disney family. You look at Pixar as a separate entity. They very well may be owned by Disney on paper in your eyes, but it sounds like there's Pixar films and there's Disney films and Disney and Pixar almost is, you know, the adopted child of Disney. They don't really and tell me if I'm wrong. They don't really you don't consider them Disney per se. No, I think what what I what I gather. I mean, I'm not in the war room with them as they're making their films, obviously. But it, from what I gather, it just it still seems like there's a different mentality between the two when they make when when Pixar makes a film versus when Disney internal makes a film. Um, even though now there's there's more people in common, like John Lasseter being involved on both ends, obviously. Um, so well, let yeah, me ask still, you: when when Pixar characters or Pixar attractions come into the Disney theme parks, how do you feel? How does that play for you? Oh, I'm happy because I'm glad they're on our side. <laughs> <laughs> no, in that re in that regard, yeah. Well, I think I think having Pixar, and I think I think everybody believes this too. Having Pixar become part of the Disney family officially and for sure from now on and forevermore is a wonderful thing. Is that they. Uh, from obviously from day one, Pixar has just put together fabulous films. Again, like I said, whereas Disney at the same time was maybe treading water with some of their films, and um, and uh, you know who knows, maybe having Pixar set the bar so high helps make Disney animation itself set the bar high. And I'm fine with them coming in the parks. I think it's a wonderful. So let me ask you this: to you, is Buzz Lightyear a Disney character? Uh. Can I say Disney slash Pixar or Pixar <laughs> slash Disney? Yeah, no, I, I consider them. No, I consider them Dis, Disney. Um, Disney A. How about that? There's Disney A and then there's Disney B. Let's put it this way. Last year when um, 
the princess and the frog came out and we similarly had not so sure expectations of how it was going to be and i think i think unlike tangled i think a lot of people liked princess and the frog but some people were lukewarm about it and um to me right that there was there was a difference between what disney was doing what pixar was doing at the time and still do um but they're getting better which which hopefully is some of that pixar philosophy coming in which i think was very good for the disney crew to get infused with a little bit to remember what made them who they were way back in the golden ages of disney film like said hopefully we're entering into another one well, I think you bring up an interesting point, and I wonder how many other people out there feel similar to you or feel just the opposite, feel that the, the marriage of Disney-Pixar is one that is complete and one that is seamless. I would love for people to comment in this week's show notes at wdwradio.com. Tell us what you think about sort of that marriage of Disney-Pixar, and as we're on things like Toy Story 3 and looking forward to other Pixar films and other Disney animation films coming out, how do you feel about that that relation between the two? Do you feel similar to Tim, or do you feel as though no, Buzz and Woody they are they are Disney characters now? So, because I know some people feel well, they talk about the Pixarization of Disney parks as almost if it's a a third outside party coming in. So I'm wondering now, however many years later, um, how people feel because I think you're probably not not alone. Yeah, I know. I know there was well, we talked about this trepidation about like Nemo coming into the seas and. And um, things like that. Although having Donald come into Mexico is kind of the same idea, though it's not Pixar. But so I think that's a discussion of just characters coming into the park, whether it's Pixar or Disney. But again, that's what I think. I'm, I too am curious to see what other people think. Well, your mention of Nemo and characters coming into the park will, will serve as a nice segue towards the first major important story for me for 2010. And I think it was. Uh, two announcements, and the first was the Art of Animation Resort, and the other was the announcement of Hyperion Wharf, the retheming of, of Pleasure Island. I think the Art of Animation Re Resort is important for a number of reasons. Number one, Disney is bringing in another set of value rooms to Walt Disney World. They are certainly very cognizant of the economy. They're very cognizant of the fact that for families to travel to Walt Disney World, it is expensive. So rather than build another resort at the moderate or the deluxe level, the next one that they introduce is one that's also value, making 9,000 out of the 25,000 rooms on Walt Disney World property that value level. Number two, the fact that they are introducing a number of family suites to this sort of goes into that as well. Clearly something that they were testing at the All-Stars were proved very, very popular. They bring into the Art of Animation Resort. So if you travel with an extended family or if you have a number of kids, you now have these suites with two rooms and separate uh, sleeping areas. So you don't have to worry about getting adjoining rooms or multiple rooms. You can now fit your entire family into one of these. I think third and probably most important was the choice of the theming of the Art of Animation Resort. We talked in the past about the theming of the resorts like Pop Century. You know, my kids, even Tim, maybe your kids who are, your, your daughter who's older, you know, Pop Century to them, they have no relationship to. The 70s and 80s don't mean anything to them. Whereas you bring in an Art of Animation Resort where it's themed to recent classic Disney and Pixar animated films, The Lion King, Cars, Finding Nemo, Little Mermaid, 
kids are going to relate to this so much more. And I think it's going to make this resort not only very, very popular, but it's going to make it almost an attraction in and of itself because the rooms aren't just lightly themed and the outside areas aren't just sort of the larger than life icons like you have at All-Star or Pop Century. It is very much an experiential type of environment. So the entire interior of the rooms as well as the exterior spaces are very, very deeply well-themed to these films that I think kids are going to relate to so, so very well. I think this is going to prove to be an incredibly, incredibly popular resort, um, arguably one of the most. Because again, I think kids, and even for a lot of us who are Disney fans, are going to like the idea of characters and films that they relate to, as opposed to destinations or locations like a Coronado Springs or even a Polynesian or you know, a, a beach club resort that is very, very well-themed, more so probably towards adults than something like this that's geared to kids. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm curious because it'll be a it'll be a departure in that realm, and I can't wait to see it. Obviously, but it is uh, you know, one game we play uh, in our amongst our family, and I like to ask people is if, if you were going to create a new Disney resort, how would you theme it? And and the one that came up all the time was theming it to something uh, Disney Disney character related, whether it was a Winnie the Pooh resort or or Mickey Mouse or whatever. So. It is curious because this is a departure. It's not like you're you're going to be at a resort that's just, uh, as you said, a destination unto itself. It's it's really tied in uh, with with Disney and the parks and stuff. And uh, I'm curious about the people who who talk about staying in the park versus out of the park and the out of the park people going. Well, I don't want to have too much Mickey Mouse in one day and uh, or, or to, you know, Disney 24 seven when I'm staying there. And, and this is the one resort where you will get it from. So, um, very curious to see how it, how it turns out. We yeah. have a little while, a little while to wait though, don't we? Isn't it 2012? It, it'll open. Or? It's going to open in phases. It's going to open in phases and it's going to open in time, obviously for, and it's gonna be a nice tie into the expansion of fantasy land. So you're going to have you most of this resort open when fantasy land begins to open in, in its phases. So, the timing is right, uh, the theming is right, again, the fact that its value is right, and I think the fact that the rooms are, I mean, if you look at some of the concept art, you see even the light fixtures look like sea anemones in the Nemo room. It's not just some pictures on the wall. You really get a sense that you are in a room that's very, very well themed. The headboards have characters on them, so I think you're right. It's going to be interesting. And I wonder, too, and again, I'd love to hear people's comments on their feeling about art of animation and the idea of having themed resort rooms or wings or whatever it is in some of the other levels. Would you like to see it in a moderate or a deluxe? Would you pay extra for it? Would you, what about rooms that are themed towards Disney attractions? You know, imagine Tim Foster, a haunted mansion room, a pirate. Oh, I, mean, I love it. Right, we've got Pirates of the Caribbean themed rooms over in uh, Caribbean Beach, what about other, you know, an Adventureland-themed room and a Tomorrowland-themed room? You could really go wild, and I think people would be willing to pay a premium for those kind of rooms. It's funny, because we always, we always thought of, um, uh, you know, like the Wilderness Lodge being like Frontierland and Polynesian being Adventureland and Contemporary Bring Tomorrowland and so forth, but... Now I guess we don't really have to pretend so much. But if they made a Winnie the Pooh treehouse, I'd be the first one to be there. So, 
I, fi- I figured. I, I just wanted, <laughs> and, 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 and just to tag on to to what I had said about the announcement, the other one being Hyperion Wharf. Again, Disney is taking Pleasure Island, which for many years was trying to define and redefine itself and for some time was unable to do that very well. Was it an adult-only destination? Was it for, you know, sort of that younger people who wanted to go out and, you know, drink and party like it was New Year's Eve? Was it for families when they opened it up and allowed, you know, kids to walk through? I think retheming it to Hyperion Wharf gives it a family entertainment destination. Again, very important that it's free. It's a place that people can go to outside the parks if they don't want to use one of their park ticket days or something that they want to do at night. But there still is enough adult-oriented activity there, not meaning bars and clubs and you know doing uh, ice shots like you used to do outside the, the Rock and Roll Beach Club, but places you, for adults. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I saw it uh. happening there. <clears throat> Excuse me. But places for adults to go for a nice dinner and to go outside and there is live entertainment and you're right by the water. I mean, I think it's going to be very, very well themed. And again, a place that you can go outside the parks for those people who are going, especially on a budget. There's going to be a lot of things to do there. So I'm very excited about both of these opening up. Uh, I hate seeing Pleasure Island in its current semi-abandoned state. So when Hyperion Wharf uh, opens up, later on in 2011. It's going to be very interesting to see how that's going to impact nightlife in Walt Disney World, especially for adults and for families as well. Yeah, I was very looking forward to that. I'm not one of those who really rent a pleasure island or got into the nightlife aspect of it, but but, but the fact that it seems more family-oriented and just a lot more fun, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. So, I could have sworn I saw you at Mannequin's. No, no, I don't think really, so. not you. Hmm. No, you're you're looking through those. All right, never mind. I'm not <laughs> gonna. I'm not gonna finish that sentence. That that was not me. Uh, and my next one, I have a feeling this will segue nicely into something that I I has got to be on your list. But I'll let you fill in the blanks. Um, the next one, it wasn't unique to 2010, um, but I still enjoy it all the same. It was the International Food and Wine Festival. And it was notable to me on a personal level, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, again, not, not to go into a lot of detail about what the Food and Wine Festival is, as I'm sure everybody knows what it is. And I'm sure we've talked about it quite a bit. Um, if you listen to the show, you would know that I talk about it pretty much every week. <laughs> uh, but, you know, notable this year were, were a few new pavilions. Um, Belgium with, with the yum, yum Belgium waffles, which are... I'll never say no to those. Um, South Korea, which which fever, featured uh, barbecue short ribs and lettuce wraps. I, I think, Lou, you said you liked it. It was curious because I have a friend who was uh, who is Korean and was out there and actually wasn't that all impressed with it. But she likes Taco Bell, so what can I say? Um, and uh, for me, though, the the highlight of the event. Now, believe this or not, I know we talk about food a lot. Well. Lou talks about food a lot. I know one of the favorites is the cheese soup from Canada. I had never had it before. Holy humanity. Oh, I know. Pick up your job. I had it for the first time. My knees were shaking. Did you weep? Did you weep uncontrollably? I, I, I weeped silently. My knees were shaking. I had to prop myself up on, on a trash can and hold myself steady. And 
man that was good so you know international food and wine festival comes every year but 2010 a banner year for me because i finally had the oh my gosh the cheese soup from canada and if you've never had it what are you waiting for go down there next year and help yourself it better be there next year (laughs) it's always going to be there it will forever be there believe me as amazing and inconceivable as it is that you have never had cheddar cheese soup, I'm going to tell you that the Food and Wine <laughs> Festival, not on my list. Not on my list because because it's something that occurs every year. And although it may have been better in some respects, maybe there were things that were taken away that didn't sort of make it rise to the level of that is one of the most important things that happened in 2010. Plus, for me, food is always important in 2010 or at any time. So, <laughs> well, do, do I suspect though that there may be other food-related items on your list? Well, now that it, it's kind of, I'm going out of order, but I will actually tie it to a food-related item that you was see on my how list. I help you out. It's like I'm, it's, we're like we're like Rowan and Martin. We're like Abbott and Carstel. Oh gosh, Buzz and Woody. Sure. Oh no, those are Pixar yeah. characters. Sorry. Oh, right, so. <laughs> so I did have the addition of new dining options in the Walt Disney World theme parks as being important because over in World Showcase, we had the opening of Viennapoli and we had La Hacienda de San Angel as well as the Cantina over in Mexico. We also had the opening recently of Pollo Campero in downtown Disney and alongside that, Fresh Appeal and Baby Cakes. And I sort of broke these two out separately because I think the addition of Viennapoli and La Hacienda bring in two new, excellent sit-down dining options that are obviously very different in World Showcase, which I think needed it. I think that as good as Tutto Italia was and as good as the uh, the restaurant in Mexico is, they offer different flavors, um, very different than what we have. We finally have good pizza in Italy, uh, in, in Florida, over in Viennapoli, and I and I love sort of that family style atmosphere there. The food in La Hacienda is outstanding. You also now get a prime Illuminations viewing spot uh, on the promenade, so you can have your dinner, sit there inside or outside, and watch Illuminations. So, I think the addition of those two are very important coming into Walt Disney World, especially for food enthusiasts like myself. Pollo Comparo, Fresh Appeal, and Baby Cakes collectively represent to me the healthy trends in the parks and out of the parks that Disney is moving forward on. We've seen it over the last couple of years in small baby steps with the addition of healthy side dishes like apple slices now being sort of a default at many of the restaurants, healthy snack options with a partnership with Ocean Spray and offering cranberries in the parks. These all offer new healthy options. I think Baby Cakes is important because it is a vegan, gluten-free restaurant. We talk about how Walt Disney World is so incredibly accommodating, probably more so than any other vacation destination for people that have food allergies or special needs when it comes to dietary restrictions. You now have a place that by definition is dedicated to those people who want to eat somewhat healthier or need to eat vegan or gluten-free. So I applaud Disney for bringing in places like that. Fresh Appeal also has a lot of healthy options. Same thing with Pollo Comparo, certainly much healthier than McDonald's, the location that it occupied 
that occupied that space previously. And I think this is the first of many larger steps towards us seeing healthier trends and healthier dining options coming to the parks. I think you're going to start to see more of this at counter service and table service restaurants as well as Disney becomes very cognizant of people's desire to live healthier lifestyles, yes, even when you're on vacation. Now, see, I could speak to that, except you never took me to any of those restaurants. So, I've taken I, you. I've taken it to some pretty sweet restaurants. I have to say. You, well, Haven't let's I? just say we both ended up there at the same time. As to who took who, that's true. Who <laughs> that's <I don't>. true. <laughs> However, this reminds me, and this is a two thousand. But you also need, you need to expand your culinary horizons too. I know. I, I go to the same. Well, I'm. I'm See, you are I'm a creature of, of habit. You are. We, you wanted to go to nineteen. You wanted. You wanted to go to the Grand Floridian Cafe because you wanted the oh, yeah. pasta or whatever it was. I, I remember. I'm the only one who ordered it, but it was good. And and the lobster burger. Now, see, unlike you, I, I, it's probably no shame in saying table for one to go to a restaurant. I'm. I'm I can't. I can't do that. So I, I do. Admittedly, end up in my own particular eateries. Morocco being my favorite, but. But someday we will make – this does remind me, though, of a very personal 2010 moment that I forgot about until you brought up the food thing. And I know you made fun of me. We had the whole cream <laughs> spinach thing. We had the bananas thing. But you, you got on this funnel cake kick with me for a long time trying to get me to have one. I actually had not – if I had had a funnel cake, it was when I was little and I didn't remember. But thanks to you, I had my first funnel cake in a long time. In Liberty Square, and boy, was it messy! But it was good. Well, we're gonna we're gonna and get you to that. we're gonna get you to California Grill, and you're gonna try sushi. And no, uh, yeah, oh, no, really. Hold on. And hold we're on. gonna get you to La Hacienda, and you're gonna try some Mexican food. Well, Mexico, I can handle the raw fish stuff. I know some of it's Norway. You're gonna get to Norway with the cold seafood bar. How's that? Just, just give me the school bread from Norway, and I'll be a happy camper. So you've had that, right? I have. Okay. Look, look who you're talking to. Seriously, um, <laughs> you're, you're right. <laughs> but actually, do you remember you actually participated? And I'm, I think it was was it 2010 or was it 2009 when we did the very first live restaurant review from yes. Mama Melrose's, our sort yes. of mini mancation there. Yes, I, I wouldn't have described it as a mini mancation, but. Yeah, that was very good. We we must do that again. Yeah, you can get if you get me eat sushi on the show, that that will be entertainment. I promise. There is a there is a video in your future, my friend. I can <laughs> promise you that. Oh boy! All right, for my next one, this is going way off of the Walt Disney World uh, map, and I am um, living up in the Great Northeast near Philadelphia. Um. I have had the occasion to travel to New York City and go to the Disney store there, which was wonderful for anybody who has been there. Um, but we now have a brand new, improved, magical, fantastic Disney store in New York in Times Square, which I will admit I haven't been to it yet, but it's on my list of things. Next time I'm going to New York, I have to go see it. And for anybody who's there, Definitely go see it. There's, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who have already been there. Um, but there lots to see. Two floors of 
pure magic, a 20-foot tall pink castle, which I personally can't wait to see. Um, walking through, uh, following the pixie dust trail through the store. Um, checking out the magic mirrors where a princess will tell you a story if you wave a wand at her. Um, and even um, building your own car's car at their ride maker's uh, section of the store, which actually coincides. This wasn't... I don't think this warranted a top five of my list of things that happened in 2010, but having a ride maker's store open in downtown Disney, too, which I'm not a car person, so I didn't really go, but I'm a Pixar cars person, so I might have to check that out. But but there just seems so much to do at the new Disney store, and of course, it's right in the heart of Times Square in New York City, and as a huge fan of the old store um i can't wait to see the new one lots of changes it's a lot it is a lot different from a lot of things that made the older store so magical but a lot of new things to discover and i can't wait to be there and i don't know Lou, if you've been to that store or not yet i haven't but i do want to sort of if i can sort of piggyback on and maybe reinforce your argument because i i do th- it was not on my list but i do think it was important with that being the flagship of the quote-unquote next generation of Disney stores because I think right. what's happening is that now that Disney has taken these stores back, remember, they sold it off to Children's Place for a number of years. A lot of us who enjoyed visiting the Disney stores when we couldn't get to Walt Disney World were, were somewhat disappointed with that experience. Now I think what they're doing and what Jim Fielding is doing an amazing job of making happen is extending the theme park experience again into the Disney stores around the country. Uh, A number of these new stores with these interactive experiences have begun to pop up. And I think that's, again, allowing those people that can't get there every year, every few months, every couple of years, whatever it is, the chance to, at least on a small level, connect with the experience, that Disney experience that we get when we go to a Disney park or when we go on a Disney cruise or an adventure by Disney, whatever it might be. So I think it is important and I and I'm hoping that the trend continues to have all of these stores change over to this new Disney store uh, with these type of experiences that you talked about, not just a place to get clothes for your kids and plush and some of the toys, uh, more adult merchandise and things for kids and hopefully adults to do when they go there and i know that any disney fan would love to see one of these stores open up in their local mall yeah we've had actually a few we've lost a few stores in in the last couple of years where i am so um yeah i'm very hopeful we can get we see some new and exciting stuff around where we live we have some huge stores in this area too but um see how it goes could be very exciting yeah, and I know they opened uh, one up down here in Tampa. So they, they are starting to pop up. I know there are some stores that, you're, you're right, did close and never reopened again or still sort of carry over the old children's place style motif. So uh, it'll be interesting to see in 2011, looking forward, how many of these stores continue to open and if how much they do it sort of on the same level of what they did for the Times Square store. Uh, we actually, I did actually send somebody up to the store when it opened. They covered it for the uh, site. So if you go to the WW Radio blog, you can actually see pictures and a report uh, and a discussion that somebody had with Jim Fielding from that opening. So um, when I do finally make it back up to the, into the Northeast after the winter time, I'm, I assure you, I definitely will go check it out. 
after you take me out to dinner. In Disney World. Exactly. In Disney World. We are going to do nothing <laughs> but eat, my friend. You don't, you're not going to ride a single attraction other than maybe the people mover. So. Oh, color me surprised. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, let me – is it my turn? Yes, it is. All right. I'm going to take us back into the theme parks. And for me, being a somewhat of a nostalgic – um, there was a time when over the summer we talked about everything old being new again and the reintroduction of Captain EO and the Main Street Electrical Parade as part of Summer Nightastic was important for a lot of people. Um, after the untimely passing of Michael Jackson, there was this th- renewed interest in Captain EO and we all sort of wondered, would Disney bring it back for some unspecified period of time, which they did do. They cleaned the film up. They cleaned the audio up. Uh, in Walt Disney World, they updated the theater a little bit, and they brought the film back in its original form. We also, in Walt Disney World, were brought over the Main Street Electrical Parade for many of us, myself included. You know, that was very much a part of my childhood. That, that parade sort of defined the Disney experience for me for many, many years. So I know a lot of us were happy to see that come back, have a chance to see it again and hear that familiar song. We were also happy to introduce the parade to our children. And I think the same thing happened with Captain EO. A lot of us were excited to sort of go back in time to to the mid 80s and see that again and almost laugh along with it uh, because of how sort of campy it was and I saw people smiling and crying the first day it opened because they were happy to see Michael Jackson again. I mean, look, people Michael Jackson came on the screen. People lost their mind. So there were many of us, the nostalgics, that loved seeing that come back. My question now that it's been here for a few months is, okay, that novelty may have worn off for a lot of people. You know, do we go back to Epcot and do we make sure we see Captain EO each and every time? I'm not sure. You know, I know that there's people that they see Spaceship Earth every single time they go. I wonder what the longevity is of Captain EO. I think the Main Street Electrical Parade is relatively timeless, while EO is very much dating itself just by virtue of what it is and the technology and the music and everything else like that. So how long, looking forward, will Captain EO remain popular? Uh, How long will they keep it in the parks? They have not set an end date for it and what are people's feelings about it now how do people feel about captain eo months later now that they've maybe seen it once or twice again or for the first time where they've introduced their kids to it is captain eo able to stay is it does it have longevity in the theme parks or does it need to be replaced and do you feel the same way about the main street electrical parade yeah we'll see about captain eo it's funny because i was i was I'm going to piggyback on the summer nightastic part, but it, it kind of speaks to Captain Neo because we were there in the summer with my daughter and some of her friends, and I have a pretty good feeling they, they barely even know who Michael Jackson is, amazingly enough. So, yeah, I guess as far as, as the younger kids and everything are concerned, it's a, it's a film, so we'll see what happens next. Um, I said time will tell, and I'm curious if and when it goes away, what will come in its place. I don't know if you know anything whether Honey, I Shrunk the Audience will come back or whether something new will come in. Um, 
Well, I think Disney said, yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience will come back. I'm not sure that that's really going to happen because we talk about how, uh, you know, how anybody to the, you know, any kid under the age of 30 will know even what the Honey, I Shrunk the, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise was all about. You know, does that have any um, relevance to them? I, my kids didn't. They didn't know what it was. They enjoyed it. They thought it was kind of fun, but they had no idea what that franchise was. I think there's an opportunity there certainly to, to capitalize on a newer franchise, a newer technology that they could bring into that theater. How about the Dreamfinders 3D Adventures with Figment? <laughs> Better yet, why does just not redo Journey into Imagination? Let's get that 40% of the track back. I'm on board. I'm sure, yeah, that's a, that's a separate conversation. So. Right. Uh, related to Summer Night Tastic, though, um, was a couple other things that went along with that besides the Main Street Electrical Parade. Um, the, the nighttime fireworks display, simply outstanding for anybody who saw it. And I, I actually had the uh, odd fortune of being there with, again, with my family, my daughter's friends, as uh, – that phased out and, and Wishes returned. So we got to see the Nightastic Fireworks one night and Wishes the next night and, and were able to compare the two. And Wishes is no doubt spectacular, but the Nightastic Fireworks were simply unbelievable. And um, hopefully we'll see them again. Um, they mirrored to me, to me the fireworks that go on during the holidays where you, you have extended the shows are extended and you have the the wraparound fireworks especially if you're standing in front of the castle as fireworks go all around you um something you've just got to see to believe everyone i know it sees it for the first time their their draws the draws are on the on the floor and and there might be a tear or two and they're probably mine but um just an amazing sight to behold now the other thing i'll mention this and lou you'll have to chime in if you've done this was the um updates or or the Enhancements they did to the Tower of Terror for the Summer Nightastic celebration. Anybody who listens to this show knows and could probably bet as much money as they want. I did not experience the Tower of Terror enhancements. I just stood outside and listened to other people scream. You're really surprised, aren't you? Now I'm just I'm bowing my head, shaking it in <laughs> shame for you. And I don't know I don't know if you got a chance to. I'm sure you did to experience the enhancements during the summertime. I did. Yeah. And were they suitably frightening? Uh, I, I they, don't know they, that would was... have, they made me weep and cry even more than I would normally have on No, that. I think there were things that you had to look for that were pretty cool that they did. Uh, some of the things were, were curious about how they did it, which sort of blacking out some of the scenes, but they did add on a few elements to it. Um, certainly the, the random drops and things like that were, were awesome. Uh, I don't think it necessarily blew anybody away, but it was a nice sort of addition to it. And, you know, look, we always, for attractions that we ride over and over again, we like having even some sort of a little change here and there sometimes. And I think that was uh, one of those small additions that they were able to easily swap in and swap out that nobody was upset that it came in or upset that it came out, but probably thought it was pretty cool while it was there. So, despite what everyone told me, you didn't, in fact, go upside down? You did not go upside down, nor did you get wet. Huh. 
No, I would have gotten wet. No matter. My wife would have gotten wet if she were on it. The everybody. tears that would be streaming down your my face. My tears would have gotten everybody yes, wet. I'm sure. now, now, help me, though. Was not the most memorable thing of the summer nightastic celebration, and I think you had a video of this, was driving the ladybug float personally. Pers- from on a personal level? A personal level. Getting into one of the Main Street Electrical Parade floats and driving the little bug? Yeah, that was one of the... the cool highlight moments of for me personally in, in 2010. A two feet in a circle, but still. I was in it. I was in the bug. I was part of the parade. Yeah, I mean, that was that was an amazing you, event and an amazing opportunity. So How you got that thing on two wheels, I'll never know. But I'm small and sprightly, <laughs> so. But, uh, alright, so is it... Um, is it my turn again? Is this is this my fifth? I think we're in last one, which is funny because mine is hardly the top of my list one. But I just went in order, so. So I think so this, you, this is <laughs> that was mine. This is yours. This is well, your you're last. up. Well, I just gave you I Captain pick- EO and Main Street Electrical Parade. No, I was pick. I was picking. Oh, you piggyback. I was piggybacking you, on your summer night. Test. You cheated, which is good. I now cheated, Cad. Now, now neither of us will feel guilty with our honorable mentions. I don't have any. Well. I yeah, sure you do. <clears throat> so, okay. well, this is your final one coming. The um, the next one might is not necessarily a single moment, no, a, a single story. Be- no, no, no. That <laughs> you could sort of pinpoint and put your finger on. But I think when we when you mentioned things like the Disney Store, we talked about these experiences outside the Disney theme park. I think Disney did something very important in 2010 that is going to certainly carry over into the future. And I think their expansion of their digital and their online presence was very, very important. You know, they launched, they finally sort of got in the game and launched a Facebook page and I think was the fastest or the first page to get to a million fans. They, late in the year, partner with Gowalla for this check-in uh, service that you can use on your phone. So they choose not to go with Facebook or Foursquare, two of the larger check-in services online. They partner with Gowalla because it gives them the opportunity to do custom badges and custom passports. And instantaneously for the people who were paying close attention to it online, they were downloading Gowalla, they were going into the parks, they were checking in to try and retrieve some of these things. I'm curious, going forward in 2011, number one, how much Gowalla is going to be used by people? How often are going to be people going to be checking in to these locations in and around the theme parks? And to that end, what is Disney going to do for and with those people that are checking in? I think they've got a huge opportunity to leverage that. So for the people who are checking in and getting these special badges or they get they complete sort of these journeys so you've complete all the Adventureland passports can they get or will they do things like give them not virtual prizes but real world prizes give them you know you check into all the places then you go to some place in Adventureland and you get a fast pass for the Jungle Cruise or hey we're going to have a special meet and greet for all the people that got this special badge we're going to have a place that you can go I think that they can do a lot if they leverage this investment wisely. I think it was a smart move going with that. It certainly increases 
the value of something like Goala. But I also want to know going forward how many people are still going to use it. Um, has the novelty worn off or do a lot of people still look down and are on their iPhones or their Androids or their tablets, whatever it might be, checking in while they're in the parks? To that end, how much does that potentially detract from the theme park experience? Are we spending too much time looking down at our phones, worrying about checking in at Peter Pan's flight as opposed to looking around and experiencing the cues and the details and some of the things that we try and point out? The other question I have, because I have lots of questions, because it's what I do, is how much do people actually know about something like Goala? Because if you don't sort of pay very close attention to what's going on online through the Twitter and the Facebooks and the community and the Disney blogs and things like that, how much do people who are going to the parks, that casual visitor, visitor that goes once every two, three, even once a year, know that Goala even exists and that Disney has such a, a branded presence in there? Because when you check into your room, when you go to your uh, check-in at the hotel, when you go to the parks, there's nothing saying, hey, make sure you take out your iPhone, download Goala and check in, and here's some of the things that you can win. So I'm wondering about the awareness of the Goala how much it's being used and what Disney is going to do going forward. I think they're leveraging the Facebook and their blog space very, very well because there's a lot of interactivity going on there. The mom's panel is expanding. So they are doing a lot with their online presence. That is a radical departure from what they've been doing in the past number of years as the internet has obviously grown by leaps and bounds. I think it's very important. I think it's going to continue to grow. I think they've got some very smart people in the social media space, but I wonder how some of these other elements like the Goalas, like the mobile magic uh, that they have partnership with Verizon, how that's going to impact the theme park experience and how that is going to potentially grow in 2011 and beyond. Yeah, it's very curious because between the two of us, I never used it. So, um, I think did you, do you even did you know because I know you don't listen to the show. No, you're, I never. You're pretty much sequestered in in your cave over there working I'm on busy celebration. Making a magazine. Right. So did you even know what Goala was and what this whole check-in thing is? No, and and I think you it it is a very curious point because um, it it's a very interesting time we're at with the internet exploding. And you definitely have this group of people that is into it and understands it and or at least follows it. And then this group of people over here that has no idea what all this stuff is. I always like to give it, you know, my mother rule. Would my mother do this or even know what it is? Now, granted, she'll, she, she's a texting fiend and she's on Facebook all the time. But even at that, there, there's just people that have no idea what this is. And um, I guess in one way it's curious in that the kids – you might find the kids being more involved or more in charge of the vacation and getting around um, just because they are aware of the technology and can follow it, whether it's checking in or whether it's simple things like checking wait times or looking stuff up online to know where to go. And you raised an interesting point, which I didn't even think about, but people looking at their iPhones or whatnot to check in. I, I do find it very interesting now as you walk around the park, or pretty much anywhere for that matter, and just see how many people are now are looking down, and not looking around them. Uh, whether 
probably doing mundane things like texting or calling somebody. But I found it really funny at, at fireworks when you see this because it used to be not too long ago you'd be there and you'd see the sea of video cameras up in front of you and the, the person who decided to put their light on because they felt it would illuminate the scene better. But now you, you go there and it's just the sea of little cell of little cell phones up in the air recording everything. Which I think is a shame because I always feel like if you're not watching it and you're kind of looking at it through a viewfinder or through your phone, you're not really experiencing the whole thing. But but for what you're talking about, um, are we going to see more of Walt Disney World become more virtual than real and how will that play out? It's curious because there's a lot more they can do, obviously, than they've done so far. Um, the mind boggles and everything just is exploding so fast. But now I have something to look up because I'm kind of curious now. So. Right. And, and look, I am certainly one who is very guilty of being in the parks and looking down at my phone. Um, I, You know, <laughs> when I'm there, I like to tweet about what I'm doing. I like to play games with people who are following me. So I'll play Where in the World and I'll do different things like that because I try and connect people to the experience that I'm having there. But you're right. If you are watching the fireworks, I almost wish that you could sort of look down from a cherry picker and it would almost kind of be looking like from space because you'll be looking down and all you see are going to be a lot of illuminated screens as people are looking down and tweeting and taking pictures and uploading to Facebook and sharing that experience. So it's it's certainly a double-edged sword because there's, there's things that we can do in the parks for those who aren't there but by the same token... Is it taking away from our own personal experience? Um, I was talking to somebody once and we were talking about things to do to enhance your experience. And I've been there so many times and I'm taking this one. And, and I said, honestly, I said, leave your camera at home. Yeah. And they're like, what? I said, don't look at Walt Disney World through a lens. Stop say, taking, worry about taking pictures all the time. You are taking away from your personal experience because you're concerned with framing a shot and what you're doing and capturing it all as opposed to just wandering the parks. And I've done it. I've made sure I've gone to the parks and said, you know what? I'm not going to tweet today. I'm not going to, I'm going to just go and enjoy the parks where it is and look at it through my own eyes as opposed to having to worry about uh, sort of capturing things all the time, um, you know, on, on a digital level. Yeah, I've, I've done that too, like deliberately leaving your camera there. I mean, it's one thing if, if, you know, we're doing it, or someone does it that goes there every day. But you know, and I do, when I do know people that are going on their once a year trip or their first time ever trip, um, it, it's hard to, to tell them not to have a camera because certainly you want to take pictures and stuff. But it's it, there's so much to, you can see all these pictures online anymore, or even see a video of the ride and experience the ride. But it's just obviously with the video, it's not the same thing, even though it's out there. And it's just a shame, I think, sometimes when you see so many people caught up in recording every moment when those moments of seeing the fireworks in the castle have been recorded so many times. But seeing the technology grow and seeing how this all progresses will be quite interesting, I think. And again, Tim, I want to invite people to comment on this themselves. You know, Disney's online and digital presence, how they feel about it, how much they use of it. What would they like to see or, you know, maybe they don't like it at all. Um, Certainly, again, 
please comment over at the show notes over at www.radio.com. And with that, Tim, I'm going to give you the opportunity to give your last sort of important or, uh, you know, story that, that had the biggest impact or influence for you for 2010. All righty. And I will say for anybody who wants to write in the show, though, this would be really cool if you sent him a postcard in light of the subject. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. So now my last one just happened to be number five on my list. And like I said, these weren't in any order. So this might sound kind of strange as my number one. But um, we're in the parks. We're going to Epcot. This is a rather personal one for me and for me and my daughter. Um, it's in the Japan Pavilion. And for those who don't know, there, there is an, over, an often overlooked section of the Japan Pavilion way in the back where they uh, have special exhibits. And for the longest time, they had the exhibition Tin Toys, and they had one on baseball years back. But they have changed it this year, and it's an anime exhibit, um, The Spirited Beasts from Ancient Stories to Anime Stars. And if, you're, if you haven't been there, uh, be sure to check it out. It's, again, it's a... It's, it's just a display of, of uh, more of a museum kind of, uh, kind of environment. But you get to see where uh, a lot of the anime manga characters from today originated from, um, from Japanese myths and legends. And, and anybody who has kids, uh, they're probably very familiar with uh, the anime and manga that's out there today. Um, and for those of you that might be a little old school, like... Uh, myself and my partner here uh the one thing to look for is the tanuki exhibit because there you will find uh mario from super mario brothers and super mario brothers 3 specifically with his what we always called the raccoon suit and i never understood the significance of it but it it, it actually is a, a a japanese creature from from the mists of time um but it, it's really interesting to see that and where it came from but even aside from that the uh the exhibit is it's pretty interesting and there are some cool things in there there's there's one display that has hundreds of of uh, origami paper cranes which uh, are illuminated by a light that comes on every once in a while it's it's very breathtaking um and of course right next door is the mitsukushi department store where you can buy a lot of anime uh manga related Items like this, like the scrolls you'll find in there, and which are strewn all over my daughter's walls right now. Um, and tying this back to Toy Story Three, see how this comes around in this circle. I was um, waiting. There better be a big payoff here at the end because I got to tell you something. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. You lost uh, me. Hey, you hey, said Japan. Who does know what I'm talking about? Please <laughs> you aim said, at, you said Japan. I started thinking Teppanetto and Tokyo Dining no, and sushi I, and sake more bar. So food. See, there's culture. That's well, I know. Culture. There's good stuff in the. Anyway, well, here I'll relate, I'll relate this to Toy Story Three, so you can figure this out. Now, even though, the best of my knowledge, this is not in the anime exhibit, and I confirmed this with my daughter, but this can be found in the Mitsukushi Department Store, and it's a figure called the Totoro, and it's it's hard to describe. It's basically a big egg-shaped gray thing with a couple little ears and eyeballs, but uh, it was from a, a Japanese anime. That was very popular. And as a tribute, in Toy Story 3, there is a Totoro figure, if you keep your eyes out. And if you Google it and find a picture, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, the Totoros, uh, whether it's a plush or whatever, can be purchased in the Mitsukushi department store. 
But it's very cool that it was tied into Toy Story 3, and I know it is because when it was on the screen, my daughter yelled it out at the top of her lungs, and I had to look up and see what it was. So like I said, this was a very personal one, but, but I, I do use it to point out that in not only in all of Walt Disney World, but in World Showcase, there are lots of hidden treasures to be found. And particularly in Japan, this is one that most people overlook. Because quite frankly, it's rather hard to find. It's way in the back next to the exit or the entrance of the department store, depending on which way you're going in. But do check it out. It's, uh, to me, it was pretty rewarding. And anybody who has kids, they'll probably be very familiar with a lot of stuff that's in there. And, and hopefully be quite impressed. And I know, Lou, you're going to make that first stop on your list next time you go down there. That is fascinating. That is fascinating. <laughs> Clearly one of the top stories of 2010. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I said these were named. No, I'm, I'm kidding because because I really was sleeping through that. But I'm sure it was very personal ah. to you because. <laughs> well, now we, listen, see, because because the Japan Pavilion is my daughter and I our favorite spot. And to my daughter and a lot of her friends and kids her age, the Mitsukushi department store is a treasure trove of anime and manga items, which are, are extremely popular and it's, it's pretty much the one place you can get them. So actually having that exhibit open was, holy cow, this is awesome, because this is exactly what we go to the store to check out anyway. So it was nice to see how it all relates to ancient Japanese culture, which you know we're supposed to learn about culture and other people. I have a better it. idea. Not why stuff our faces. Why with don't we just take a celebrations? Why don't we just take a celebrations research trip to Tokyo Disney Sea, experience the Japanese culture firsthand, and then we can compare and contrast the Japan Pavilion versus real Japan. Oh, I like the way you think. See, this. see, see. There was good that came out of it. <laughs> there you go. Make it happen. All right. <laughs> so that was our top nine, and then Tim's personal hey. tent. <laughs> <laughs> You said. But there are, um, I do want to just mention a couple of things, which may not be as important as the manga exhibit and, for you. There is, thank you. But I Mom. did want to mention, whatever. Uh, and I do, <laughs> and just so you know, J the Japan Pavilion is my favorite, and I love the Japanese culture, and I cannot wait to go to Japan. But that being said, <laughs> a couple other stories that took place in 2010 that I think are important to mention uh some that relate specifically to Walt Disney World, some sort of, some Disney in general. I think one thing that is go not going to impact 99.99% of the people within the sound of our voices. However, it was very interesting when Disney said, for the first time ever, if you want to live in Walt Disney World, we'll sell you a home. If yeah. you have a few million to spare, because yeah. Golden Oak was introduced as this one of a kind, obviously very high end luxury residential resort community that Disney and their Imagineers helped design. Of course, you have to have at least a million and a half to eight million dollars in order to buy into it, into one of those first 30 houses that are going to be part of phase one. But eventually, and this is important, there are going to be 450 homes. There's also going to be a, a Four Seasons Hotel there. But there are going to be homeowners that live on Walt Disney World property. It's every kid and every adult's dream to live there, to live in Walt Disney World. There's going to be resident-only facilities. There's going to be a lot of private VIP experiences 
for the people there, um, an on-call concierge service, fitness facility, spa, yoga studio, um, lots of things that go on, and even Disney's involvement in the appearance of the home. So there's going to be, you know, Disney will be involved in helping you do holiday home decorating, things like that, because they certainly want to keep up very much that Disney feel to it. But again, although none of us, except maybe if you've got foster money, are going to be able to buy into Golden Oak, it's interesting the fact that that opportunity for the first time ever is going to be there. And if you're wondering where Golden Oak is, it's sort of to the southeast of the Magic Kingdom, uh, not far from where Fort Wilderness is, sort of more east of Fort Wilderness up in that area there. So I guess you can't put up your Shrek uh, snow globe inflatable in the front yard. Probably not. I think they tase you on site. <laughs> Good for them. So, but yeah, I think that that's, I think it's very interesting. A lot of people said, you know, they complained because certainly they couldn't afford a million and a half dollars. But, you know, you obviously want to keep a certain, um, a certain level of lifestyle up there if for those people that are actually going to live on property. So, um very, very interesting, the introduction of that. Well, I'm not sure if they broke ground on mine yet, but we'll have to check it out next. Are you an $8 million guy? Did you go for the $8 million or a Tuscan villa? Well, you're buying dinner all the time, so I've been saving my money. I'll buy di- Listen, you buy the home. You buy the celebrations compound. I'll pay for dinner. Okay. All right. That's a deal. Pecos bills forever, baby. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of other things that are being built, not specifically in Walt Disney World, but again, that extension of the Disney experience, Aulani, the DVC resort, is being built right now in Hawaii, in addition to being just a, not just a, but an incredibly well-detailed and themed and accurate resort when it comes to representing the Hawaiian culture. I can tell you that you are definitely going to have a lot of Disney touches and Disney interactive experiences coming to that resort. So it is truly going to be a destination for families, things for kids and adults to do beyond just being at the resort and going to the pool and going to the beach. I think you're going to see, without giving too much away, uh, interactive experiences, kind of think about things like a Kim Possible type adventure coming to Aulani. So it really sort of becomes a destination, but very much, again, with that sort of extension of the theme park experience outside the theme park. And another reason to, I mean, as if you need any more reasons mm-hmm. to go and visit Hawaii. Well, get me to California first, then we'll talk about it. So what we need to do is we, like a buddy movie. Me and you, let's get in the car. Let's drive to Kansas City. We'll drive to Marceline. We'll drive out to Anaheim. We'll spend a couple of weeks in Disneyland. Then we'll fly out to Aulani, spend a few weeks there. And there's, look, look, we're halfway there. Might as well puddle jump over to Japan, go to Tokyo Disney Sea, hit Hong Kong, Disneyland Paris on the way back, and you'll be back in Pennsylvania in like six months. Oh, bye. Wasn't that the Thelma and Louise plot? It is. It's us. Off the cliff, <laughs> baby. Me and you. Off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me, except for that end part. The buddy movie, the Tim and the buddy <laughs> movie. That beats the YouTube video of us on Main Street. True, skipping down the uh, skipping down <laughs> Main Street, USA. A um, couple other things to mention, and 
again, we'll, we'll look back on 2010 years from now and wonder how much of an impact this little person is going to have because Disney, with much fanfare, speaking of Japan, introduced a new character to Walt Disney World, which is incredibly popular in Japan, and that is Duffy the Bear. See a- how I set you up for that? Did you? You see you? how I do that? For you, you brought me all the way full circle. You're, That's you're little, the kind of buddy I am. Your you anime didn't... story. Yeah, you knew this going you in. Didn't think there was a method to my madness, but there was. So, and I said, you know, <laughs> when I first heard about Duffy, I was like, I don't know, man. It's. You know, you go to Walt Disney World, you think about buying your kids a Mickey plush or one of the Fab Five, and that's what they come home and snuggle with. But I got to tell you, I've got a Duff. Actually, I've got two Duffies. And <laughs> like you, Tim, he's yeah. really soft and cuddly. Oh, right. Uh, have you been to Walt Disney World and seen Duffy yet? And if so, what do you think about Duffy? I mean, because they very much sort of went all out in introducing him, especially over in Epcot, where you can by Duffy and all different international costumes for him. And I'm starting to see people doing what I hear many people do in Japan, which is walk around and take pictures with their Duffy the Bear and wait online to meet the Duffy the Bear character. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I don't think I've been there when I've seen it, but I um, we do have a, a young correspondent who, who writes for this very cool magazine that we know about. Um, she does i'm talking about meredith have asked meredith if nobody knows what i'm talking about um she has a duffy bear and she had gotten one and reminded me that duffy is very similar to the old disney bear which i never had either but um in fact she thought they were the same thing i think for a while but uh, yeah i think um potentially it could be a very cool thing i love that what she said that uh uh, the practice of uh, taking a picture with Duffy everywhere it could be a, a picture-taking vacation memory uh, that 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 everyone can make for themselves. So we'll see. I was a little, I think I was like you. Know, I was a little hesitant. Like I didn't know what it was. Like this should be, you know, should be Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy, and and it kind of just felt like they were making up their own character just to make up their own character to sell it. But see how it goes. It's it's not the first time they've done that. They did right. it with the orange bird. They did it with Figment. Right. Obviously, Figment, right. you know, right. hugely popular. Right. But yeah, overseas, Duffy is monstrous, they're telling me. it's He's as big as the popcorn carts out in Japan. So I'm very curious to see in the next <laughs> six months, year, five years, sort of the how the longevity of Duffy and the adoption of Duffy throughout the parks and how much... He is sort of accepted as this new Disney character and people buying the costumes for him and taking their pictures for with him. Well, you'll know Duffy has arrived when the anime exhibit leaves in Japan and you have Duffy around the world moving in. Back to the anime exhibit. <laughs> I'm trying to tie this all in. Let's see. <clears throat> that being said, I do not have a Duffy bear. No, I know what, I know what I'm getting you. <laughs> I'm getting you a Duffy bear and a little celebration shirt. So. All right. He, he real. I'm actually cuddling with my Duffy right now. So, oh, <laughs> um, a couple of things, real quick, just to mention. Uh, Disney in 2010 introduced something which is going to premiere in just a few weeks over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, and that is the Wild Africa Trek. Again, this interactive, quote unquote, thrill experience where you actually get to walk and experience the safari in a very different way than, than as opposed to 
riding in the safari vehicle. You get to actually walk through areas and you're taken through on a tour. It very much sort of screams to me things that were hinted at for Night Kingdom, that sort of uh, an add-on park that it was rumored a couple of years ago. I'm curious to see how well this is going to be uh, adopted by people. It's going to be like a three-hour exhibit. It's something I'm definitely going to try out in the next couple of weeks and hopefully get to report on. But again, we're starting to see, Tim, experiences in the parks beyond just the passive experience where you sit in a theater, you sit in in a vehicle and watch a show or experience an attraction. You very much are getting out there and doing things. There's Kim Possible. There's now the Wild Africa Trek. I think you're starting to see more of these. And I wonder, like, are these things that are of interest to you? Or what do you think? How do you think they'll be accepted and utilized by everyday guests? I love it. As long as you don't go upside down, I'll be fine. Oh, you don't you have to repel down a wall, though, right over the rhinos or something? I'm t- on our way to Japan. Like- we're going to stop like in Fiji and we're going to go on a zip line. That I would do. You know what I do? A zip you line would across not World you- Showcase Lagoon. S- that I would do. Cupcake, yeah, I wouldn't you would even not. go on the sky buckets when they were there. You wouldn't? No, I'm too no. chicken. I went on. I went That's on. why they were gone. Blame Tim Foster. Yeah, lack of attendance went. by, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. So a couple of the things real quick, uh, not major, major news stories, but things just sort of to, to mention. There were some notable updates to attractions in Walt Disney World, specifically the Magic Kingdom. Space Mountain opened up after a refurbishment. They had a new story. Again, those interactive game experiences in the queue. More recently, Winnie the Pooh reopened with their very interactive queue, specifically geared towards toddlers. I think it's uh, sort of foreshadowing what we're going to see when Fantasyland expansion opens and you start to see these queueless queues, these queues that are more experiential in nature so you don't almost realize that you're waiting in line and they're making these lines go faster. We saw it on a very relatively basic level with what you had in Soren. You see it now in Space Mountain. You're seeing it at Winnie the Pooh. I think it's going to be taken to another level when Dumbo opens with that queueless queue, this sort of circus tent where you wait and are called when you are it's your feather or your number or whatever it is to go and experience the attraction. I know they tested that out by Rock and Roller Coaster, I think, earlier this year as well. So that is the trend. We're going to see the Haunted Mansion open with um, some new elements in the queue as well. Uh, again, I think it's important to mention because we're starting to see it really in 2010. I think it very much is going to reflect what we're going to start seeing over the next couple of years, certainly this year in 2011. Well, I definitely didn't see that rock and roller coaster one. Do you even go on attractions when you go? Yeah, Small World, Peter, uh, Peter Pan's, Winnie the Pooh. Although I'm waiting to see that one. That sounds like it's right up my alley. Winnie the, Winnie the Pooh. That's you actually couldn't. You couldn't really participate in a lot because they're meant for toddlers and really small people Our like couple. me. But it, it's that too. I mean, that's got some great technology <laughs> later on in the queue um, when you see these sort of uh, touch screen, these touch panels that have the dripping honey that you can move your hands around. Relatively simple, but again, it's things to do while you're in the queue. And and if you push everything away, obviously you're sort of rewarded with a photo underneath. But 
things for the kids to do. Um, it, it's it's interesting what they're doing. One part of the of the interactive queue is open now. Another part is going to open up later on. But no matter what, very very well themed queue. And again, things for kids to do while they're waiting. And as a you know, they sort of almost took elements from Pooh's playful spot, brought them over, added on to them, and put them into the queue of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. So. It'll almost make me want to forego the fast pass. You should forego the fast pass. I think there's a lot of attractions you should forego the fast pass. If you ever rode Everest, I would tell you to bypass the fast pass line and experience the full standby queue. I have a fast, an unused fast pass to prove it. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, it's funny that I was on Soren and we usually go on fast pass, but I went, we went through the regular line once to the interactive screens. I was the only one jumping up and down. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. That's my other top event from 2010. I was the only one jumping up in front of the interactive screen at Soren. Yeah, I hopefully and, they and, yeah, and I lost. Hopefully, <laughs> people watching. Uh, a couple of things, real quick, that came to Walt Disney World: the Best Friends Pet Care Resort. I, I think it was Yay. Uh, neat and interesting, and a great idea on Disney's part having an actual resort for pets. Look, my mother treats her dog, I think, better than she treats me sometimes, and she would love things like that because it truly is a resort for your pets. The The, the kennels are now gone, but I've heard nothing but good things about those people who've experienced the Best Friends Pet Care Resort located across from the Port Orleans Resort. Um, and cats are welcome. Cats are welcome. Bring, yep. bring your cat, bring your ferret, bring your pet Duffy, whatever he might be. So, <laughs> uh, much to the uh, delight of people who are bi-coastal Disney fans who like to experience Disneyland and Walt Disney World, Disney introduced the Disney Premier Passport, which is a, an annual pass that gives you a year's admission to all the Disney theme parks within the United States. Runs about $700. I was curious when it was announced how many people were going to buy it, and I was even more curious when I realized how many of my friends actually purchased it and almost incentivized them to either come out to Walt Disney World and visit more often or vice versa and head out to Disneyland. I don't have one. Yet. 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 <laughs> have you ever been to Disneyland? Nope. Yet. We, Yet. Tim, you and I, we're going to bond in 2011. We're going to do a lot together. Between there's the me, there's Bayou. There's Pennsylvania and there's Florida, and I'm oblivious to what else. Yes, Space yeah. Mountain. In the no, dark. there I definitely, definitely will be going out. That's a whole other. The Nemo ship. subs. The Nemo subs. <gasps> oh, yeah. You've got to ride the Matterhorn bobsled. I'm not going on Space Mountain. A corn dog. A corn dog on the at yeah, the red corn wagon. Dog. Oh, sweet Georgia Brown. That's good stuff. <laughs> so, um, and and finally. Um, not really specific, I mean, partially specific to 2010, but look, Disney is clearly investing a lot into their theme parks. They're investing a billion dollars out into California Adventure. This past year, they introduced World of Color, which, you know, hearing about it and seeing a video does not do it justice. Uh, it, it clearly such a groundbreaking experience. Obviously, we have this expansion to Fantasyland, and I still don't think we know all the details as yet. So Disney very much showing a lot of love in the past year and in the next couple of years to the theme parks, especially to Walt Disney World. I talked about Hyperion Wharf and the new resorts and, and Fantasyland. So I think looking back at 2010, Tim, 
it gives you a lot to be excited about, especially going forward as to what the future is going to hold for us as Disney enthusiasts. That was the one when I was going through making my list. That was one thing that was, was occurring to me. My uh, my uh, anime exhibit in Japan, notwithstanding, but a lot of things I thought of were more of things to that were announced to, to look forward to in either 2011 or 2012. And uh, yeah, I agree. It sounds like a. a a lot of exciting stuff's coming down the pike, and I, I think next year's recap will be so be even better than this one, as, as outstanding as this one has been. So let me ask you this. But just like my number one. My number one next year is going to top this one. Your number one next year is going to be your buddy trip with Lou Mangiello. That's what it's going to be. Well, that might be a little too personal. I don't think people want to know It's going to be epic. One. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like plane trains and automobiles, me and you. Wait, those aren't pillows. <laughs> Well, I actually saw that movie. Um, so do you have, if I had to ask you to sort of prognosticate and give me your prediction for 2011, what do you think might be something that is really going to be something to look forward to or something that important that you think is going to happen if you could sort of look into your, your Celebrations crystal ball? It's been announced. You know, one thing that, that it's announced we didn't mention was the new Star Tours, which I am very much looking forward to. See, now, I thought you'd be too chicken for Star Tours. No, 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 no. It, boun- it bounces around a lot. I, no, I can take bouncing. I just can't take flipping and spinning and, you know, throwing up. Well, and, and when I said at the beginning, like, we Star- talked about, and, and that was one of the losses I was alluding to. You know, we lost Star Tours this year, uh, but it's not really a loss but- because of what we know we're going to be getting in the future. So I think that is something for 2011 that I'm very much looking forward to. I think fans on both coasts where we're going to get it in Disneyland and Walt Disney World certainly have a lot to be excited for if you are a Star Wars fan. And and really, how could you not be? How could you not be? And I'm still uh, looking forward to Epic Mickey, which is under my tree and hasn't been unwrapped yet. So don't tell me how it ends. I I will tell you that I, I did get it for Christmas, and I'm super psyched to play it, and I just haven't had a chance yet. But I I, uh, I vow in I'm going to make time to play Epic Mickey. I'm going to actually I'm going to take it easy in 2011. I'm going to you know work, that was, I'm going to work that, harder, but I'm going to work smarter, and I'm going to make myself time to play Epic Epic Mickey. That was a 2010 thing that happened and was announced. I was actually asked about, and not to go too long about this, but I, I don't think I ever asked you. I was asked when it came out or when it was announced what I thought of Epic Mickey and having Mickey Mouse being a darker character. Especially when they first came out, it sounded really and all that. And I wasn't sure about it, and I'll still find out when I play it. But but that that was a question that came up uh, during the year, and I never asked you like how, how you feel about taking the Disney icon and giving it this stark twist. And well, I, I was not too that. sure about it, but the more the more I've heard about it, the more it seems. You know. Right. So when I saw it too, and I said, "Wow, that's really." a radical departure from our, you know, happy little Mickey Mouse. I, I wondered about the integrity of the character, uh, certainly keeping trust in Disney that they would never sort of disrupt that character integrity, but how he would be portrayed. And I didn't really know very much about it. When the game, was, when trailers were being released and the game came out, I heard nothing but incredible rave reviews about it. And I think what it is, Tim, is not just the chance, again, we as Disney enthusiasts are 
starved for content. We're starved for that experience any way that we can get it. A game like this does that. We didn't really have, I mean, look, we had the old PlayStation Disney Quest Magical Racing Tour, but here's a game that immerses you into the Disney world with Disney characters that we know. Getting into the theme parks, getting to, you know, interact and experience the theme parks in a video game, that's what we've been waiting for. So I think that's why the response to Epic Mickey has been so huge. It's almost less about the character of Mickey himself versus the gameplay. I mean, things like Kingdom Hearts were very, very popular. It had nothing to do with the theme park experience, but because it involved Disney characters, it became very popular and still is. I think there's a Kingdom Hearts 2. I'm not sure if there's a Kingdom Hearts 3. But this is sort of what a lot of people who, especially who were gamers and who were even not gamers, but who had that Wii at home, were waiting for. Um, and when it came out, again, if you follow the social media trends online, you'll see the Facebook and Twitter posts have nothing but rave reviews other than the fact that people's thumb hurts from for playing it yeah. for so long since Christmas. Well, the one thing I, I heard, we had an interview with, um, I think I think it's in our current issue, or the issue before of Celebrations, that we had an interview with one of the developers, and um, what came across is that he was a very, very huge Disney fan, and, a, you know, a god had understood what Mickey Mouse was all about, and, and, and was a fan of the park, so it wasn't somebody coming in just putting their own spin on a character they weren't really familiar with. But you're touching on Kingdom Hearts was interesting because I know with, uh, my daughter and her generation and kids, that, that's really their, for the most part, their connection with Mickey and Donald and Goofy, unlike uh, you know, us oldies who might remember the cartoons and, and remember these characters for what they really were. And, and granted, even we're not... We barely grew up when they were making the cartoons. We weren't really alive then. But for this generation, they're, they're really probably is a real disconnect with those characters. They're just that mouse that walks around the park. But having these games like Kingdom Hearts and now Epic Mickey, I think if we're prognosticating, we'll go a long way towards making these characters real to a whole new generation of children and, and make their connection with Disney World so much more too. Because they get it, they're classic characters, but they don't really get it like we get it and, and seeing the cartoons and stuff like that. So... And my daughter plays Kingdom Hearts all the time. I still haven't played it because I don't understand what she's doing half the time when she's playing it. But um, So we'll see how Epic Mickey goes. I'm looking forward to playing it. Well, then let me just sort of end off with one more thing that I didn't mention, which you got me thinking probably bears mentioning. It's got somewhat of a Marvel connection, but it has very much of a Disney and a theme park connection. The Marvel connection is Jon Favreau, who directed Iron Man and Iron Man 2, opted out of directing a third Iron Man film for Marvel. Instead, he wanted to focus on developing the Magic Kingdom, which is going to be a live-action adventure for Walt Disney that's going to take place, obviously, in the Disney theme parks. People's prayers have been answered. We've wanted a film about an experience in Walt Disney World. We had things like Kingdom Keepers for Ridley Pearson in book format, but now we're going to get, in 2013 announced in 2010 this film about an experience and a movie that takes place inside the magic kingdom i'm on get me online now i'm ready for, ready and who doesn't love john favreau maybe i'll have seen tangled by then too <laughs> of course every time i think of john favreau i think of rudy and then i cry 
Uh, okay. Well, don't cry now. So, all right. And just real quick, only because you mentioned a personal thing of yours, uh, I did want to mention personal highlight for me in 2010. Um, and there was kind of three. The 24-hour show that we did earlier in the year was such an amazing experience for me personally because of what we were able to do and sharing it with friends and sharing it with the box people because the box people sort of really came into their own in 2010. They sort of launched at the end of 2009, but really kind of took things to another level. So the 24-hour show was something great to experience personally. It was great to experience with friends who were there and friends who watched online. And I know a lot of people also donated to the Dream Team project. Um, and because of that, we, we've, we've raised more than $90,000. We're, we're sponsoring uh, a wish that we're gonna, that's going to take place actually in just a couple of weeks in Walt Disney World. So there was a lot to that 24-hour show for me. Destination D in Disneyland was another one of those fun, memorable experience that was less about some of the things that took place at Destination D as opposed to the time that was spent out there with friends. Although, Tim Foster, you were noticeably absent, I will tell you. Next year, next year. Next year. Well, this year, Destination D this and Walt year. Disney World, baby. And I mean, this year. D23 Expo, Tim Foster's yeah. announced it. You're going to be there at D23 Expo this year. This will commit me, so yes. You should be committed. Now I got to go. Now you've got to go. So, And certainly, Tim, uh, a big highlight of me in 2010 was celebrating another year, partnering with you uh, on Celebrations Magazine. You do an incredible job putting that together, and it was bigger and more beautiful than ever in 2011. And I say that not as a publisher, but as somebody who is a fan of the magazine as well so thank you again for letting me be a part of that with you and for all your amazing all my photoshop tutorials finally paying off for you baby i i I will say your photoshop skills are coming along nicely thank you thank you not quite ready to give you the cover not ready for publication i I do so badly want to share the cover that you did mock up for me well one of these days we've listened we and we look for 2011 it's going to be exciting time for us as Disney fans, Tim, you and I know that we've got some exciting things planned for Celebrations Magazine coming up in 2011 that we're going to announce pretty soon. Um, lots of stuff going on. And again, we'll both be out at the D23 Expo this summer. So uh, I- I'm very much looking forward to the adventure that 2011 is going to be. I would love for- to hear from listeners about what they think were some of the important or influential stories or developments of 2010 and why maybe what they're looking forward to most in 2011 some of their predictions for what may come please come by and comment in the show notes over at wdwradio.com you'll find it under the podcast tab up on top click on this week's episode and comment in the comment section as always tim foster it has been a uh, a wonderful year of top tens and more importantly great friendship with you You can find all of Tim's good stuff, not just at CelebrationsPress.com, but really his Guide to the Magic series of books for kids, new and expanded and updated for 2010. Yeah, shameless plug. There's a a milestone for 2010. There you go. Another shameless plug over at GuideToTheMagic.com. Pick up one for yourself, one for your kids, and one to preserve uh, uh, on the bookshelf. (laughs) Good advice. So, 
Uh, Tim, thank you again, and uh, look forward to more top 10s or top 11s in 2011. Yes. Let me just sign off real quick uh, saying, look, I couldn't have done celebrations without you, of course, but I do want to actually extend everybody works on celebrations. We couldn't do it without you guys, and we look forward to so much more, and we thank everybody so much. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Buddy movie in 2011, me and Tim Foster. Come oh, those on. are just don't forget those aren't pillows. <laughs> Tim, thanks to another great year, buddy. All right. You just remember what your old pal said, son. You got a friend in me. Yeah, you got a friend in me. And as the years go by, our friendship will never die. You're gonna see it's our destiny You've got a friend in me You've got a friend in me You've got a friend in me Yeah! That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in. And Happy New Year once again to you and your families. I hope you have the very best of 2011s. And I'm looking forward to all that it has to offer, including a lot that I've been working on for the past few weeks and months, maybe even years, that hopefully I'm going to introduce this coming year. With under 60 days until we sail on the Disney dream, I've posted some updates on www.radiocruise.com, including an outline of our itinerary, information on just some of the activities we have planned, information on a contest we're having that you can start working on now, and how to submit your entry when you get on board and more. Again, if you're joining us on the cruise or if you're still thinking about coming along, visit www.radiocruise.com. I've got a video and the itinerary right up there on the site. Also, I'm planning on having another WDW Radio Live video broadcast and chat about the cruise next week from Walt Disney World, where we can talk about the cruise some more, answer more of your questions. Stay tuned to Twitter and Facebook for more information. Thinking it will most likely be Thursday night, January 6th, but again, Twitter and Facebook, best way to stay updated. Speaking of live shows, I have a very special treat for the box people because I'm going to be sailing on the christening cruise of the Disney Dream starting on January 19th, and I'm going to be bringing the box people along with me. I'm planning on broadcasting that morning as I board the ship and as long and as often as I can. Again, I'll know more as I get closer to the cruise sailing date and that morning. The best way to find out exactly when I'm going to be broadcasting is to follow me on twitter.com slash and or the WDW Radio Facebook page. You'll be able to watch right on your computer over at WDWRadioLive.com or right on the WDW Radio channel on Ustream.tv. You can watch it from your browser there. You can also watch it from your mobile device if you have the Ustream viewer on your iPhone or Android device. Speaking of watching and live broadcasts, don't forget to tune in every week on Wednesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time for the WDW Newscast. That's where I cover the Walt Disney World news and some rumors in a live interactive news show where you can be part of the broadcast and discussion. We'll talk about the news real time in the chat room. If you can't join us that night, you can watch and please comment 
by subscribing over to the YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash WDW Radio. Speaking of being interactive, don't forget that I love hearing from you. So you can email me questions or comments at lou at wdwradio.com. You can call into the voicemail line at toll-free 888-703-2171. And please come by the website. Be part of the WDW Radio family and community. There you can sign up for our newsletter. You can find out how you can follow me over on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. You can talk with other Disney fans in a fun friendly, safe environment in the WDW Radio forums. There's videos, blog posts, photos, and more. Speaking of the blog, make sure and come by. If you're getting ready for the Walt Disney World Marathon next week, come by and check out our Ultimate Disney Running Playlist. And you can also submit your funny or most creative caption for January's caption contest for a chance to win some prizes. On the site, you can also purchase signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books and the audio guides to Walt Disney World on CD or instantly downloadable file. Don't forget, if you're going to be in Walt Disney World, join us for our Meets of the Month. January is going to be this weekend, Saturday, January 8th at 2 o'clock at the Tomorrowland Terrace Noodle Station. That's Marathon Weekend. It'll give people who are uh, running in the half marathon time to go back, get changed, freshened up, and come out and meet at the Noodle Station for a couple of hours. February's Meet of the Month is going to be Saturday, February 26th, before we depart on the cruise and the Disney dream. Stay tuned to DisneyMeets.com for more information and location. We have just a couple of spots, and I mean literally just two or three spots left for our Adventures by Disney Backstage Magic Tour. If you're coming out to the D23 Expo in California this summer, it's a perfect time. Six days, five nights, right before the D23 Expo leading right up to it. We're going to go backstage at Jimmy Kimmel, go to the Jim Henson Studios, get a private tour of Imagineering. The Walt Disney Studios going to go backstage at Disneyland. So, so much more. I'll put a link in this week's show notes where you can find out more information. We have the entire group reserved for WDW Radio listeners and friends. So again, uh, visit this week's show notes for a link to a downloadable PDF with the itinerary costs and some other frequently asked questions. Finally, I want to thank all my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. Disneyland, Disney World, Disney Cruise Lines are certainly our adventure by Disney Vacation. Becky and her team of agents giving you the best possible prices. More importantly, an amazing level of personal service that is their hallmark. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. All-Star Vacation Homes has more than 150 homes within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World. They have private pools, spas, kitchens, game rooms, and lots more. You can visit them over at allstarvacationhomes.com. And remember, if you want to stay right in the heart of Walt Disney World, be sure and check out the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin. In addition to their amazingly comfortable heavenly beds, they've got 17 world-class restaurants and lounges, wonderful guest rooms, the Mandara Spa, lots of Disney benefits. You can visit them over at swananddolphin.com. Finally, my friends, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share it on Facebook. And please come by if you like. Review the show and the free WDW Radio iPhone app over in iTunes. And lastly, my friends, with the new year having just started out, remember, you have a blank slate where you can do whatever you want. So take the opportunity to write your own story and realize your dream. There is no time like today, so be positive, get motivated, and start pursuing your passion. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends whether we've met or not, thank you again 
for taking the time and for tuning in, for giving me an amazing 2010. I'm looking so forward to all the adventures that 2011 is going to bring. So until next time, remember to always keep moving forward. Thanks again for listening. See ya. Lou, it's Mark SF, Ann and family calling from Disney World. We can't thank you enough for your tips. Hello to all the box people. Defend the box. Paradiso 37 was amazing. Flying Fish was amazing. Disney's Magical Express was equally great. And California Grill uh, capped off a great stay here during the Christmas holidays. We can't thank you enough. Your show's great. We appreciate everyone who contributes. I'd say more, but I think I see a funnel cake. Bye, Lou. There's a great podcast by Lou Mangiello. Every week my iPod will download. There's a great podcast by Lou Mangiello. And now we've got 200 episodes. This is the show to listen to for Disney info and interviews. And when we might be in store we all hope to see 200 more there's a great podcast by Lou Mangiello every week my iPod will download there's a great podcast by Lou Mangiello with 200 Hey guys, this is Mary Jo Collins, member of the WDW Radio Running Team, and your online captain. The 2011 Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend is fast approaching, and I want to urge team members to check the WDW Radio Running Team Facebook page for an important message from your online captain. And I also want to congratulate the members participating in the events this coming weekend. You've taken the hardest step already, and that was to sign up and make the commitment to do the race. No matter what your time is, we are just so proud of you, and we want to thank you. Lou and the other team leaders also want to thank you for your commitment to making a difference in the life of a seriously ill child by raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America through the Dream Team Project. So big thanks to all of our charter team members. And please forgive me if I mispronounce your name. Terry Gath, Brian Johnson, Jennifer Miller-Upton, Scott Bauer, James Hansen, Tara Landis, Nicole Drew, Tom Foster, Jennifer Lisak, Adam Lisak, Tom Troost, Mark Brinkerhoff, Suzanne Brinkerhoff, C.J. Hamrick, Donna Milligan, Russell Milligan, Julie Hall, Diana Sanquinita, Kim Moody, Justin Wyatt, Bill Fox, Beth Anderson, Rick Anderson, Joseph Kalinske, John Lazuzzi, and Brian Mahoney. We are so proud of you, and thank you for being a charter team member of the WDW Radio Running Team. And this is a sincere message from your team leaders, Lou Mangello, Deanna Mangello, Valerie Drew, Steve Drew, Lori Burke, and, your, and myself, Mary Jo Collins. Congratulations already. We know you're going to do great. Go team. 
Hey, Lou, it's Rick, DJ Technoid Reed up here in Georgia, and it's about uh, seven or eight minutes before midnight on New Year's Eve. I just wanted to take time to call you and say Happy New Year, New Year to you. Thank you for all you do. Make sure you got this message before the hour kicked in and the new year kicked in. So happy 2011, and thanks a lot, Lou. Bye-bye. Happy New Year, Lou. This is Danielle from Arizona. I am so excited for the new year. I have applied for the Disney College program, which starts in just a few days. And I am driving cross-country from Arizona to Florida, to Orlando, Florida, I should say. And I cannot be more excited and a little scared all at the same time. I'm so excited to finally be able to go to your beach for the month and get back into my Disney-esque kind of feeling again, I guess. Um, thank you for all you do. We're going to make 2011 awesome. Um, thank you for your podcast, and I'll see you at the parks. Bye. Well, hey there, Lou. It's Doug from Geek Acres, and first and foremost, I wanted to welcome you to the 200-plus club. I just am amazed week in and week out at the uh, number of episodes that you have turned out and just the quality of each one. I know how hard it is to do that weekly thing, so uh, my hat is off to you, my friend. Secondly, two weeks from today, I will be hopefully in the Disney Hollywood Studios just awaiting my ADR for the Sci-Fi Dine-In. So how great was it this week that you surprised us with a Sci-Fi Dine-In episode? It was awesome. And I am just so looking forward to first night on property and enjoying, uh, you know, the burgers and the fries at the Sci-Fi Dine-In. I'll have to try and give you a call and maybe give you a quick review from there when we get there. And third and final, the last day of our trip for the marathon weekend, last full day, is going to be on Saturday. So I am very much hoping to catch you again. I have to work the food into this little phone call uh, after we get done at the Wilderness Lodge over Whispering Canyon, going to hop across the lake to the park and hopefully catch up with you guys at the uh, the meet of the month because I would love to meet you. And if Becky's going to be there, I'm not sure if Jim Corcus might be around, but, man, what a, what a great opportunity to finally meet uh, all of you wonderful guys and gals that uh, bring us the show each and every week. So thank you so much for all that you do. Looking forward to seeing you very, very soon, and we'll see you. 